guys! I'm your host, Chriselle, accompanied by my co-host, Nirika and Aya. As part of our ongoing mission to highlight authors from diverse backgrounds and promote more representation in the literary world, in today's episode, we are especially highlighting some poetry that we love because April is National Poetry Month. Additionally, with the 22nd of April being Earth Day, we are also excited to talk about poems specifically about nature to celebrate our planet. With Earth Day approaching in May, I think it's so important to recognize that we should be taking steps together to help our planet not just for one day a year, but 24-7, 365 days a year. Especially with the drastic changes happening to our planet due to global warming and rapid climate change. I completely agree. So we are going to share poems from the 19th and 20th centuries before transitioning to some conventional ones from the 21st century. But first to recap, what exactly defines a poem? Going off a strictly technical and structural explanation, a poem is defined as a piece of writing that partakes of the nature of both speech and song that is nearly always rhythmical, usually, usually metaphorical, and often exhibits such formal elements like meter, rhyme, and stanzaic structure. Though that may be a very technically correct explanation, the rules for poetry are a lot more open to interpretation and creativity. In my opinion, I honestly think that poems are really abstract vehicles of expression, as they convey complex ideas, emotions, and stories. There are a lot of different elements that can be used, like symbolism, rhythm, or allegory, but it really depends on the poet. I think the best way to really see all of this in action is through actually reading poetry. Aya, take us away. All right, so the first poem we'll be reading is I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud by William Wordsworth. This is a poem that was written in 1802 in the midst of the Romantic era. The focus during the Romantic era was on people's feelings and connectedness to nature. That was a drastic shift from the emphasis on science and reason of the Enlightenment era, which came before. I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud is one of Wordsworth's most famous poems. I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud, so I'll read the poem out loud by William Wordsworth. I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud that floats on high o'er vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, besides the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze, continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way. They stretched a never-ending line along the margin of a bay. Ten thousand saw I at a glance, tossing their heads in sprightly dance. The waves beside them danced, but they did outdid the sparkling waves in glee. A poet could not be gay in such a jocund company. I gazed and gazed, but little thought what wealth the show to me had brought. For oft when on my couch I lie, in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye, which is that bliss of solitude. And then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. Whew. Okay, so I think that poem really just highlights the connection of the narrator to nature and uses lots of vivid imagery to describe the beauty surrounding him. Wordsworth makes numerous comparisons between the daffodils and other natural occurrences, such as the stars. Um, this is, again, in line with the Romantic era style of writing, for which Wordsworth was particularly known for. I agree. The poem brings together key ideas about imagination, humanity, and the natural world. It explores how humanity is not separate from nature, but rather part of it. And secondly, it suggests that the natural world, and a strong bond with it, is essential to human happiness. This is honestly an optimistic poem with a positive outlook on the world. This happiness is drawn from the speaker's interaction with nature, in turn, encouraging the reader to appreciate the natural beauty that is all around them. 
I think you are right. Though the title might be a bit misleading, it really is meant to be an optimistic poem. This poem really emphasizes direct engagement with nature, something that is probably even more relevant now, given the impact of humans on our planet. And the next poem is Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. Um, this was written in 1923, a period in which modernism was a major movement, including Robert Frost. Poets like Wallace Stevens adopted experimental style approaches such as form, rhyme, imagery, and subject matter. So this is the poem Stopping by the Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake, the only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. Thank you for that, Chriselle. In general, unlike his contemporaries, William Carlos Williams or Wallace Stevens, Robert Frost was not a modernist and used more direct poetic language. He used free verse in his poems, and most of them are about the natural world. Stopping by woods on a snowy evening has a lot to unpack. Yeah, I completely agree. I think in the poem, the central narrator stops to see like a scene of snow falling in the woods, and he's really tempted to stay longer. However, he ultimately decides to keep moving on as he still has a long way to go before he can rest. The narrator faces like this pull between the lovely woods and the promises he has to keep. There have been many interpretations of this poem and especially those two lines, but we think that it implies several things, including have to choose between adventure and responsibility. The last poem we'd like to discuss is Third World Geography by Cyrilio Bautista. I and I are from the Philippines, and I can attest to the fact that this poem is as relevant as ever. It is a description of third world countries in terms of their government, economic status, and the life of the working class. Chriselle and I were actually lucky enough to read it in class, and the way it describes the struggles of people like me who live in developing countries is impactful with a touch of Filipino culture, especially since it's election season here in the Philippines. This poem left a huge impact on me as it reminded me of our colonized past and our corrupted present. This poem to me felt like almost a cry for help or at least a form of pleading for us to vote wisely. So now I'll read the poem Third World Geography by Cirilo Bautista. A country without miracles sits heavy on the map thinking of banana trees rotting in the sunlight. The man who watches over it has commandeered all hopes, placed them, placed them in a sack and tied its loose end. He goes around carrying it on his back. When asked what is inside, he says, just a handful of feathers. Just a handful of feathers. That's how light the burden of government is in peacetime. Any tyrant can turn it into a metaphor. You kneel on the parched earth and pray for rice. Only the wind hears your useless words. The country without miracles tries to get up from the page, but the bold ink and sharp colors hold it down. So yeah, that was a lot to unpack there. Um, and like Chris and I mentioned, it really just describes the struggles of people who live in developing countries and contrasts it with what the government is like. Um, and it's definitely a more contemporary poem, which contrasts with um, the two earlier po poems we read today. 
and after discussing the works of our featured poets today, you can definitely see how poetry has transformed in form, style, and presentation. Starting from the era of Romanticism to Robert Frost's Modernism and then the contemporary third world geography poem, if you will. These works reflect the periods that they are situated in and the different issues that are pressing and concerning for them, which really proves how societal views and norms play a crucial part in influencing and shaping literary works of the respective times. I agree with that. And I really like the last poem because especially when he says just a handful of feathers, just a handful of feathers, it highlights Filipino resiliency, which is often romanticized, by, but this poem doesn't necessarily romanticize that. Rather, it puts it in a more judgmental light in a sense that it judges the political conditions in the Philippines and how it affects the economy and the everyday lives of common folks and farmers and the working class. In addition to the three poems that we read earlier, which again were really beautiful and relevant today, we'd like to recommend the following poetry books. For a more contemporary read, check out Rupi Kaur's Milk and Honey book, which is really famous on Instagram, I saw. Selected Poetry by John Keats, Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman, an anthology of Robert Frost's poems, um, Diving into the Wreck by Adrienne Rich, and Ariel by Sylvia Plath. Thanks, Giselle. And honestly, reflecting on these nature poems made me really think about climate change and the devastating impacts humans have had on the earth. Overfishing, deforestation, industrialization have all had major implications on the planet. And yeah, like, uh, I just... Totally see where you're coming from, and it makes a lot of sense. It's pretty devastating to see how humans have ruined the earth almost in a way, but I'm still optimistic for the new generation and the leaders that have emerged in the fight for global warming, holding big corporations accountable for their footprint. I agree with holding big corporations accountable for their carbon footprint instead of blaming it on individuals who actually don't have the capability to live green because let's face it, um, being sustainable, sustainable brands, or even thrifting is getting more expensive nowadays. Like me, sometimes I'm forced to buy clothes from fast fashion companies because it's cheaper, but it doesn't mean necessarily that it's sustainable. So I agree with, on that part. Thank you, Mariga. And it's also important to remember that we only have one home and that's planet Earth, which is more important than money or anything because what are we going to do with all the hard work that we're doing now and what are material things even gonna matter if we don't have a place to live? Therefore, we need to each do our part to take care of the finite resources our planet has and work towards a sustainable and green future together. Yeah, I agree with you, Chriselle. Like, let's all do our part. Let's do what we can, but let's also focus more of our attention on those big corporations and holding our political leaders accountable instead of shaming each other for not being able to go vegan or, you know, all those little things. Um, in conclusion, let's just, let's just work together. You know, we only have one earth. And when it comes to climate change and the devastating impact it's going to have, it does not see race, it does not see color or class, nothing like that. Yeah. And with that, um, anyways, we just hope that you gain some insight and get the chance to pick up some of these poetry books to get those reading muscles into shape. Um, and with that, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you all so much for being with us today, and we hope you had as much fun as we did. If you have any questions or suggestions you would like to make, please refer to the post on the Book Raiders Instagram account 
or check out our website, bookreaders.org, for more details. We would love to hear your thoughts. Again, this was a very insightful podcast episode. So see you next time for more. And as always, happy reading.